Good morning. Are you well? Good. My name is Dustin. I'm on staff here at South Point, and we are going to be continuing this morning in our Scattered Church series. And what we've seen in this series is we've seen this newly formed Jesus movement in the book of Acts. We've seen it begin to spread out over all the areas surrounding Jerusalem, and eventually it's going to reach the entire world. And where we're reading today uh, is, the, is the passage following the story of Peter and the Roman soldier Cornelius. And so the passage we're reading today is directly connected to what we read through last week. And so just to catch you up, if you weren't with us, just to make sure everyone's on the same page. Last week, if you were with us, we read the story of Peter and this Roman soldier named Cornelius. And the one major truth that came out of this interaction is that God has now shown Peter that the message of Jesus and the love of God and the Holy Spirit is not just for the people of Israel anymore, but it is now, in fact, for any person from anywhere in the world with any background or story. And the way God showed this to Peter was by sending him to a room full of non-Jewish people and having him preach to them. And as Peter preached the message of the gospel to these non-Jewish people, the Holy Spirit descends and they are all saved by God's grace. And they were saved without having to convert to Judaism. They, they didn't have to submit to the old ceremonial laws. They didn't have to offer up animal sacrifices. They didn't even have to be good or righteous people. They only had to accept the truth of who Jesus is and what he accomplished by his death and resurrection. And they are changed forever. It is a miracle, a room full of people transformed in an instant, now saved by grace and full of the Holy Spirit. A miracle. And... In the passage that we're reading today, in Acts chapter 11, Peter now gets the responsibility of going back and explaining what has just happened to the Jesus followers in Jerusalem. He's now going to go back and explain to them, hey, guys, I have news. God's love and salvation is no longer just for us, but it is now for all people because I've just had this crazy experience. And that's where we pick up today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11, if you have your Bibles with you, starting at verse 1. If not, you can use the Acts journal in front of you, or if not, we'll have the words up on the screen. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 1. This is what it says. It says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And so those in Jerusalem heard that God's love was poured out for people who were not Jewish. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, look closely at how these Jesus followers are described, the circumcision party. Now, very rarely will you ever find the word circumcision and party in the same sentence. I mean, there ain't no party like the circumcision party. Said nobody ever. And so why refer to them this way? What? is the writer of Acts, Luke, what is he trying to convey to us by referring to these Jesus followers in Jerusalem as the circumcision party? Well, what Luke is letting us know is that these Jesus followers in Jerusalem are still very much holding themselves under the old ceremonial laws in the Old Testament, which we talked about last week. The old ceremonial laws that had to do with what foods you ate and, and how you worshiped God and how you were forgiven and how you were made holy. Well, we talked about last week that when Jesus died on the cross and became the ultimate and final sacrifices, that these old ceremonial laws were no longer needed because you're no longer made holy 
by things like food or or wearing the right clothes or sacrificing the right animals or being circumcised. No, now because of Jesus' sacrifice, you're made holy by accepting what he accomplished on the cross and making it the foundation of your life. But these Jesus followers in Jerusalem, they haven't had the vision that Peter had. They didn't witness what Peter witnessed, and so they are still very much under the illusion. When I say illusion intentionally, they're still very much under the illusion that salvation in Jesus is found by faith plus doing the right thing. They're living under the illusion that salvation is found by faith plus keeping the old ceremonial laws. Faith plus their best efforts. How they believe that you experience the grace of God is by something that a lot of people in the faith community would refer to as faith plus works. You have to believe and put forth your best effort in order to be saved. But what God has just shown Peter is that while this may have been the way th- or this may have been the way things operated in the Old Testament, that Jesus came, and the reason Jesus came was to make a way that salvation could be found in him and him alone. So it's no longer about your effort that saves you. It's no longer about your discipline. It's no longer about your ability to keep these old ceremonial laws. No, it is putting your faith and trust in Jesus alone that saves you. And I want to pause right here for a second this morning and unpack this with you guys because this is literally everything. This is why we do everything that we do. This is the foundation that the entire church has been built upon, and if you get this wrong, if you get this wrong, you are truly going to miss one of the greatest things that God has for you through the sacrifice of Jesus. You see, when Peter goes and shares the gospel with Cornelius and his family and friends, this obvious conversion happens. This group of people, they go from not understanding to now believing. And you see that transformation. You see the Holy Spirit comes down, And it talks about them speaking in tongues, and then they make this decision to get baptized, and then they're all in, like this obvious conversion from non-Christian to Christian. But with the thing that we frequently miss when we read the story of Peter and Cornelius is that Cornelius isn't the only one who gets converted. Peter gets converted too. Peter gets converted too, and, and you might say, what do you mean Peter's already a believer? And while that's true, even though Peter is a disciple, even though Peter is the rock Jesus says he's going to build his church on, even though Peter is like the main leader in this quickly growing Jesus movement, Peter, before he meets with Cornelius, still finds himself relating to God under the understanding that it is faith plus works that saves you. That it's your faith plus your adherence to God's law that grants you salvation. And you see, while this mindset's not going to keep Peter from going to heaven, and it's not going to keep Peter from following Jesus, it is going to prevent him from experiencing the kind of peace and freedom that God wants us to experience in this life because the truth is faith is what brings you salvation it's putting your faith and trust in Jesus alone that saves you and so if you think of it as a math equation and and I'm going to borrow something from this film called the American gospel uh, in Christ alone and so if you haven't seen that I highly suggest you go and read that it's an amazing presentation of the gospel Um, the American gospel in Christ alone, but if you think of it as a math equation, what I'm about to show you is how a lot of believers think our relationship with God works and how most of the non-believing world understands a relationship with God. And they see it as this. They see it as faith plus works 
equals salvation. And understand that when I say faith, I mean believing and pursuing Jesus. And when I say works, I mean obedience to God, living life as he intended. And when I say salvation, I mean being saved by the sacrifice of Jesus. And so the world and even a lot of believers, they see this equation and they understand, they they think that faith plus works equals salvation. That if you believe in Jesus and live the right way, then his sacrifice will be enough to cover you. But in actuality, the equation actually looks like this. It's actually faith equals salvation plus works, meaning putting your faith in Jesus alone is what saves you, and then what you get as a result of that are works, a transformed life that loves God and loves people because you've been saved. It's not your work that saves you, it is your your faith that saves you. Your works are a consequence. They're the fruit of being transformed by Jesus. And so you may see this and think, oh, wow, so all I have to do is believe in Jesus, and then I can live however I want, and I'll still be saved. And my answer to you is, if your faith in in Christ is genuine, and Jesus is actually sitting on the throne of your heart, and you've committed your life to him, and he's doing this transformative work in you, you are no longer going to desire to do whatever you want. He changes your heart. What this way of believing means is that it is true faith and true pursuit of Jesus that this pursuit of him will inevitably change your life because he is that good. What it means is that his goodness and grace are so contagious that if you actually believe in him and spend time with him, your life will begin to look the way he designed it to. That's why the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter, chapter 36, it says that God will put his spirit inside of you and cause you to be obedient. He puts his spirit inside of you and causes you to be obedient. It's this transformed heart that comes from knowing Jesus that drives your behavior. It's not just your own discipline and morality. That's not what it is. It's a transformation. And so if you are a believer, yet you see no evidence of it in your life, If you're a believer and you still find yourself trapped in a cycle of sin, or you still find yourself unable to love people the way God has called you to, your solution is not to try harder to be a better person. Your solution is actually to spend more time with Jesus, spend more time reading about him and praying to him and worshiping him and making him your focus. And if you do that, the consequence of that will be that your heart and your desires will be changed. Maybe you've experienced this if you are a believer. You have your focus on Jesus and how amazing and good he is, and all of a sudden the things that used to satisfy you, they lose their appeal. The things that you used to chase after, they don't seem as good to you anymore. You feel your sin literally lose its appeal, and you also at the same time, you'll begin to feel your empathy and love for other people grow. So this is what it comes down to. Jesus transforms you. He transforms you. You don't transform yourself. If you were able to transform yourself, then there would be no need for the cross in the first place. And listen, I understand this is a little bit heady and it's a little bit of a mind trip and it's actually really backwards to the way we see the world operating. It's very countercultural. And honestly, in addition to the fact that Scripture lays it out this way, it being the opposite of how the world works is one of the main reasons why I know it's true. Because God doesn't work the way this world works. Because this world and the way it works, it says that you earn everything that you get. 
that if you work hard enough and that you commit yourself, that you are inevitably going to make something of yourself. It's the most disciplined and hardworking people that rise to the top, and if you have no discipline or work ethic, you're not going to go anywhere in life. This world says that you will get exactly what you deserve based on your own effort, but Jesus, but Jesus comes on the scene and doesn't say you're going to get what you deserve. Jesus says, I took what you deserve so that you could experience something that only I deserve, this overwhelming and transformative relationship with God. Jesus says, because of your sin and your severe lack of holiness, you deserve separation from God and you deserve death, but because I love you more than you could ever possibly imagine, I serve that sentence on your behalf so that you could experience life. That's the truth of the gospel, and it's when you begin to let that fully sink in, and you let that resonate, and you let that take root in your heart, and you then build your life around that truth, that you'll begin to experience the kind of freedom that God desires for you, and you will see transformation. Salvation is not dependent upon what you do. Salvation is dependent upon what Jesus has already done. This is the truth of the gospel. And the truth of that is what makes it possible for anyone on this planet to experience freedom and salvation in Jesus because it's all about him. The focus is on him. It's not on us. And so whether you're Jew, Gentile, Roman, American, liberal, conservative, failure, outcast, rebel, whatever, your identifier I have good news for you. Jesus' sacrifice was enough for you too. This is the basis of what Peter is here to tell these new, or these Jesus followers in Israel. The way God's grace used to work is it used to be for the people of Israel, but because of what Jesus did, it's now for everybody. And I love the response from the Jesus followers in Jerusalem. As soon as he gets there, they say, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter, you broke bread with non-Jewish people. What are you doing, Peter? Does that sound familiar to you? Because it should. Sounds a lot like in Matthew chapter 9 when it says, as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus, you broke bread with not good people. What are you doing? Jesus, Peter, you broke bread with non-Jewish people. What are you doing, Peter? You see a pattern? You see the pattern is that God is trying to extend his love to all people. God is trying to reach farther. He's trying to go to the places that no one else will go, but it's the people caught in the trap of legalism and effort and faith plus works who are throwing up their hand and saying, wait a minute, I'm not sure this is going to work. Man, it's always Christians standing in the way of God reaching people, isn't it? Always Christians. So how do you respond to people like this? These Jesus followers in Jerusalem, they say, Peter, what are you doing breaking bread with non-Jewish people? And it's Peter's response, which we're about to read. Peter's response is where we're going to get our question of the day. And that question is, is this, how do we make a kingdom-sized impact on the world around us? How do we make a kingdom-sized impact on the world around us? How do we become executors of this great commission that Jesus has given to us? How do we not fix the world and get them to stop doing bad stuff? You see, that's a world-sized impact. We're talking about a kingdom 
size impact. So it's not how do we get the world to stop doing bad stuff, but rather it's how do we share the love of God in such a way that the community we live in and the state that we live in is full of the love of God and people actually begin to experience Jesus. How do we make a kingdom-sized impact on the world around us? And Peter is about to show us because this conversation that Peter has with the church in Jerusalem, it changes the church forever. And so these Jesus followers, they say, Peter, what are you doing breaking bread with non-Jewish people? And it goes on in Acts 11, verse 4, and it says, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. Peter's about to share the story of what happened um, in Caesarea with Cornelius. He's going to share this whole story. I want to stop right here, and I don't want you to miss this, because this first thing that Peter does actually shows us the first thing we can do to begin to make a kingdom-sized impact, and that thing is to share stories. Share stories. And this may seem trivial to you, this may seem like not a big deal, but I cannot stress enough to you that your story is the greatest weapon you have when it comes to making an impact for the kingdom of God. Not your biblical knowledge, not your discipline, but your story. Your story. What has God done in your life? You see, as a community, we need to not only be aware of what God has done, we have to be willing to, to talk about it. Because you see, Peter could have easily said, you guys, I don't, I don't owe you an explanation. Like, I'm, I'm Peter. I'm, I'm God's messenger. I'm one of the original 12 disciples. I'm, I'm basically like the pope of this newly growing church. If I say it's right, it's right. I don't, I don't have to explain to you why. You see, Peter doesn't do that. It says he takes time to tell the story. Actually, our translation says he, it explain, he explained it to them in order. He explained it to them in order, but in the Greek, more specifically, it says Peter began at the beginning and explained it to them precisely. He began at the beginning and explained it to them precisely. Friends, your story or a story about what God has done or is doing is always worth telling. Whether or not you think so, whether or not it makes sense to you, a story about what God has done or is doing is always worth telling. We are witnesses. We're called to be storytellers. We're called to talk about what God has done in our lives, what we've seen him do in the lives of those around us. You see, God cherishes when we tell stories, and the world listens when we tell stories, and the enemy trembles when we tell stories. Do you think it's a coincidence that in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, when it references the end times, it says this, and I love this. Just listen to these words. It says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, Satan, the enemy, the deceiver, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. It is the blood of Jesus and our stories about what that blood has done that are ultimately going to beat the enemy into submission and defeat him. Understand this. Understand how valuable your story is. And so I ask you this morning, when is the last time you shared 
your story with someone? Have you ever shared your story with someone? When was the last time you talked to someone, either believer or or non-believer, about the ways in which God has completely rearranged your life in the most beautiful way possible? It feels like we don't talk about that. I don't know why. Instead, it it seems like all we want to do is make sure the world knows how we feel about abortion or how we feel about who marries who or racism or gender or identity or whatever hill you've been fighting on these past few years. But what God actually wants you to do is make sure the world knows how God picked you up when you were dead and breathed his life into you in such a powerful way that you've never been the same. Share your story. What has God done? What is he doing? Talk about that. Post about that. Dialogue with people about that. I'm going to challenge you this week, and I don't always do this, but I'm going to ask you to do something this week, and I actually want you to do this. If you need a reminder, write this down. I'll remind you at the end of service. I want you to take time this week to write down your story. Write down your story. And in the Celebrate Recovery booklets, there's this amazing and difficult thing it says when it asks tough questions. It says, be specific. Be specific. I want you to write down your story, and I want you to include the tough details. I want you to be honest. I don't want you to just say, I used to be a sinner. I used to be bad. Everyone says that. That doesn't mean anything to the world. You have to be specific. Talk about what you struggled with. Talk about what you still struggle with. Talk about what having a relationship with God has meant to you during the struggle over the course of your life. And be honest and just write it all down. I'm telling you, this is one of the most powerful weapons that you have. And then once it's written down, I'm going to challenge you to start praying that God would give you someone to share your story with. Family member, friend, stranger, I don't know who it is for you, but but pray that God will give you someone. God, who can I share this with? Who will this impact? Who will this help see who you are? And then when God brings someone to mind, and he will, when God brings someone to mind, what I want you to do, and you're going to love this, I want you to actually share your story with that person. I want you to share it. And, and just so you're aware, before you even start putting a pen to paper or thinking about doing this, I want you to be aware that there is going to be a voice in your head screaming at you not to do this. Screaming at you that it's not worth it or screaming at you that people aren't going to understand your story. Screaming at you not to write it down. Screaming at you that if you do write it down, you're going to have to leave some things out so people don't think you're messed up. If you do write it down in its entirety, it's going to be this voice is going to be screaming at you not to share it with anyone. And then if you do share it, the voice is going to be saying, sugarcoat it, you know, make it palatable. But I promise you that that voice is not going to be coming from God. That voice is going to be coming from the one who's ultimately going to be defeated when Christians start actually sharing stories. Please do this. Tell the story. It's always worth telling. And so Peter does. Starting in verse 5, he tells the story again, and this is the third time we hear this story in the book of Acts. We read it twice in Acts chapter 10. We're about to read it again. Anytime God says something three times, we should probably pay attention. And so this is what it says. We're going to read it again. Peter telling the story. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet 
descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This is what we talked about last week. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, so Jesus' followers went with Peter. And we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen an an the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, as Peter began to share the message of the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Peter takes the time to tell the story. And what I want to do is pause again right here in this last verse and focus specifically on what Peter says in verse 16 when he says, and I remembered the word of the Lord. And I remembered the word of the Lord, which is going to bring us to the second thing we can do to make a kingdom-sized impact, and that is let God's word guide you. Let God's word guide you. Seems obvious, but not very many people are doing this. If you watch closely, in the passage, Peter recalls these visions that he had and these interactions and how he witnessed these people visibly changed. But at the end, when it comes time to make it make sense and when it comes time to put the final seal on the argument for these Jesus followers, he turns to God's word. What ultimately guides Peter's understanding of what is happening is remembering the words of Scripture. Or in his case, he's just remembering the words of Jesus because they hadn't been officially written down yet. We need this book to guide our understanding. If I can just be honest with you guys, we have a problem, and our problem is that we think our own opinions and our own perspectives and our own feelings are the truth. We value our own opinions and perspectives and feelings so much. You know, we feel a certain way, and we just assume... God must feel this way too, because I feel this way. Or we see a situation, and we just assume God must be seeing this the same way that I do. Or we hold these strong convictions or opinions, and we just feel inside, God must, God must feel the same way I do, because I feel really strongly. But the thing is, God makes it very clear in the book of Isaiah. He says, listen, I don't think or act the way you do. And so you can't judge me by how you think and act, and you can't compare yourself to how I think and act, and you can't use yourself as a basis to understand me because that doesn't work. And then he takes it a step farther in, in Jeremiah, and he says you can't even trust your own heart and your feelings because your heart is deceitful and it will lead you astray. And then he takes it a step further in 2 Corinthians, and he says we have to take every thought 
every thought and not assume it's true, but we need to take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And so you might say, well, if I can't trust my own thoughts and my own perspectives and my own feelings and my own opinions, how am I supposed to know what's right? You have a feeling? Bounce it off this book. You have a strong conviction? Bounce it off this book. God will show you if you're right. Any claims you make about God and how he works, man, I really hope you are backing it up with this book and not just saying it because you think that way. Any situation you find yourself in that you don't know how to navigate, bounce it off this book. And if you find yourself listening to a pastor frequently who is talking a lot but never using this book to back up anything, they're saying you might want to watch who you're listening to. You see, the truth is there's no situation this book doesn't intersect with. And if you think there is, you're probably going to want to go back and read it again. The truth is if we want to be a community that makes a kingdom-sized impact, we have to be looking to allow God's word to guide us. And I think Peter makes it clear in this passage. You know, Peter is under no assumption that just because he had visions and he had these interactions and he witnessed this stuff, he's under no assumption that he can now just go back and start telling the church things and saying, hey, things are going to change now. He uses this book. You know, obviously, Peter and everything that he's saying is important, but it had to be confirmed by God's word to carry any weight. And if we want to be a community that makes a kingdom-sized impact, then we are going to need this book to guide our steps and our decision-making. That's what Peter does. And if you're not reading this book, you are wrong. You're wrong. And if you're depending on me or some other pastor to tell you what this book means week in and week out, you're wrong. You have to open this book up. You cannot depend on any human being to carry your relationship with God. This is where we find understanding. We don't find it from people talking at us. We find it from engaging God in his word. And Peter does this. And then Peter wraps it up with this huge statement. This huge statement, and I love this, man. He says, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, talking about giving salvation to Gentiles and everyone the same way he gave it to Israelites, if God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in the way? Who was I that I could stand in the way? That says when they heard these things, they fell silent. And then they glorify God, saying, then to the Gentiles... Also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Peter says, if God's going to save the Gentiles as well as the Israelites, who am I to stand in the way? If God has a plan different from what I originally thought he was going to do, who am I to stick my hand up and say, not so fast, God? Peter's fallen in line with God's plan. And if you know anything about Peter or the Peter that uh, we read about in the Gospels, you will understand that this is not the same person. He's been transformed. Because Peter, back in the Gospels, if you know anything about him, every time Jesus made a statement, Peter had two cents to throw at him. Well, what about this? Well, maybe, have you thought about this? This is the same Peter who 
when Jesus said he was going to be crucified, Jesus talked about his own sacrifice, the way for people to experience salvation. Peter said, not so fast, God. They're not going to do that to you. The same Peter that when Jesus preached peace, Peter pulled out a sword and cut someone's ear off. The same Peter that Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter protested and said, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. I would never do that. You see, the Peter we find in the Gospels is a man who would frequently make plans of his own and he would figure out what he wanted to do and then he'd bring it to Jesus and say, hey, what do you think about this? That was his pattern. But this Peter we now find in the book of Acts, he's now adopted the mindset of, listen, what I thought, I, what I thought was going to happen, I'm fine with letting go of that. I'd rather see what God is up to and I'm just going to fall in line with his plan. And so if I can, I want to suggest to you that the third thing Peter shows us when it comes uh, to making a kingdom-sized impact in the community and in our state, the third thing that Peter shows us we need to do is we need to make God's plan a priority over our own. Make God's plan a priority over your own. And here's why. Because the truth is, if we're going to make any kind of kingdom-sized impact, what we actually have to understand is that it's God that makes the kingdom-sized impact, and we're just role players. Say that one more time. If we're going to make any kind of kingdom-sized impact, what we have to understand is that it is God who makes the kingdom-sized impact, and we're just role players. And if we really want to see transformation in our communities, we have to adopt this mindset of Peter, of God, I'm going to desperately seek to find what you're up to and what your plan is, and I'm just going to be quick to fall in line with it. I'd like to suggest to you that there are only really two kinds of Christians. There's two kinds of Christians when it comes to this. There are Christians who make their own plans, and they make their own ideas of what their life is going to be and what they want to do, and they make their plans, and they say, here, God, I'd like you to bless this for me. This is what I'm up to. And then there's another uh, community of Christians who they say, listen, I, I don't really care about my plans anymore. God, I'd like you to set the agenda, and I'd like you to set the plan, and I'm just going to fall in line with whatever you want to do. And I'm suggesting that we be a community that reflects the mindset of the second group of God. We, we don't want to make plans. Who are we to make plans? And God, we don't want to set the itinerary. We just want you to show us what you want to do, and then we want to be quick to fall in line. We need to be a community that reflects the words of Jesus when he said, I need to be about my father's business. And anything that I have going on and anything, any plans that I have, man, they're written in pencil until God gives me clear direction. And then once God shows me where to go, well, that's written in stone. And I'm not straying away from that because he's God, guys. And I know there's at least one, there has to be at least one person in here who's thinking, yeah, but in Proverbs 16, it says, commit your plans to the Lord and they'll succeed. It says that, commit your plans to the Lord and they'll succeed. And to you, I say, read again, because it's actually one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. And if you read it in the original Hebrew and the ESV has the most accurate translation, what it actually says is commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established, which doesn't mean that God is saying, hey, let me know what you want to do, 
and I'd like you to write up your plan and you figure it out. And then once you have it figured out, why don't you come and bring it to me and I'll help you do things your way. If you know anything about God, that would not make sense to read the passage that way. No, what God is actually saying is, hey, when your life is committed to me and you commit your work and it falls in line with me, when you align with what I'm trying to do, that's when you're going to find traction. And so if we want to find traction when it comes to a kingdom-sized impact, we have to be a community that is always seeking to know what God is up to and falling in line behind him. And you might ask, well, how do we know what God is up to? You know, it's not like he's sending emails every week saying, this is what I'm going to be doing. He's not sending out text messages. And so how do we know what God is up to? Well, first, by reading this book and being a community that depends heavily on this book for understanding. Second way is being a community that prays and puts an emphasis on prayer and is bringing everything to God before, during, and after we make any kind of move. The third way is that we need to be a community that is with each other, spending time with one another, bouncing ideas off of one another, being encouraged and challenged by one another. And really the fourth and biggest way that we can find out what God is up to is any situation we find ourselves in, we need to look around at that situation and say, how can God be glorified in this? And then we do whatever it takes to glorify him. And if we can do those few things, I think we'll get a clear idea of what God is up to. And the thing is, when we do get a clear picture and we get this picture of what God is up to, we have to submit to it. And we have to let our plans go. And I found this to be this, the, kind of the, the pattern in my life, and maybe you have too, that when God reveals what his plans are, they usually kind of mess mine up a little bit. My plans usually get wrecked, but if I'm being honest, always for the better. And God has shown me that his plan is always better than mine, and he's worthy to be trusted. You know, we have to have this mindset of, you're the God of the universe, and you're the Savior of the world, and you created this, and you set the standard for holiness, and then we couldn't keep it, and so you sent your son, and he died on a cross to make a way for us to have this relationship with you, and God, you've got it under control, and so I have no idea who I think I am interfering with what you want to do. I just want to be quick to submit to you, God. I'm going to close here, because we see that Peter's converted to true Christianity during his interaction with Cornelius. God reveals to him that salvation is found by faith in Christ alone. It's no longer our efforts that determines our eternity. It's all about what Jesus did and our focus on him, and he transforms us. And then Peter goes back and he shares this amazing story in detail with these Jesus followers. You're never going to believe what God has done. He's done this amazing thing. And then he uses the words of Scripture to make it make sense. I think this is what God is telling me through this, and this is how I know what we're supposed to do next. And then after God reveals his plan, Peter falls in line quick with it and tells everyone else we have to be a community that's about our Father's business. We have to be a community that is chasing after what God wants to do and putting our plans aside for that. And I have to believe that if we're going to be a, a community that makes a kingdom-sized impact when it comes to sharing the love of Jesus, we have to adopt the same mindset. We have to be willing to share the story. We have to be willing to use Scripture to guide us, and we have to be seeking God's plan and making it a priority over anything that we think 
we need to do. And if we do that, know that we'll see transformation. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God in control. I thank you that this design is yours, God. You created everything, and you created and crafted this master plan for us to have this relationship with you that's not based on our own effort, but it's just it's based on pursuing you and putting our faith and trust in you. God, I don't want to be a community that gets caught up in making our own plans and trying to figure out what we think is best. God, that's, that's just not going to work. God, we have to be a community that is seeking to glorify you in everything that we do and seeking to find out what are you up to and falling in line with it. God, I pray that we be a community that depends on you through prayer, through scripture, and through telling our stories. I know that if we'll do these things, that we will be able to witness all of this amazing work that you want to do in our community, in our neighborhoods, our family, our friend groups. I just pray that we reflect what Peter has shown us in this passage. God, I pray that you are glorified through it all. We love you. We trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.